0: to Video Store. I am Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 2019 or maybe 2020 movie First cow So let's step into Barrett Fisher's video store. Barrett, how you doing? I'm a lot warmer today, Sam. Thanks. <laughs> That's right. The the uh the temps are are rising. Um I said twenty nineteen or twenty twenty. I know we talked about sort of how movies get classified for a year. This um this came out in festivals in 2019 but I believe its theatrical release was in March of 2020 right before COVID shut everything down so I think it had a weekend maybe in theaters and then um and then it went to streaming uh eventually. Um what is your history with with Kelly Reichert as a filmmaker?
1: Yeah, Kelly Reichert is one of those um you know, highly regarded and independent filmmakers, uh, who's, who I have known more by reputation than actually watching. The only other Kelly Reichert film I've watched, which I like a lot is, is Wendy and Lucy. Uh, that was her second film and one of her first collaboration with Michelle Williams. Um, so that's been my background with Kelly Reichert, her reputation and then having watched Wendy and Lucy.
0: Uh, just, just thinking about first Cal and Wendy and Lucy, no, I haven't seen that. Is there anything, um, from seeing two of her films or from her reputation that would say is indicative of, of uh, the types of films she makes?
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a number of things, um, and I'll kind of touch on three of them. Uh, one is uh, just in terms of where she films or where she shoots her films. Uh, most of her films are shot in Oregon. Uh, she really likes that, that setting. Um, several of her films, most of her films are co-written with uh, Jonathan Raymond Adapting either his short stories, or in the case of uh, First Cow, his novel *The Half Life*. Um, But then, more importantly, she is really concerned with people who are uh, living on the margins, uh, people who are um, kind of barely hanging on, or people whose lives either skirt or actually kind of embrace disaster. Um, She likes to tell stories that uh, about the people that we tend not to pay attention to. and, and she she also tends, if First Cow is a little bit different in this respect, she tends to take just a slice of life. Um, and often her films don't have the kind of ending, the kind of resolution, the kind of circular structure that First Cow has. Um, you know, Wendy and Lucy is much more typical in that sense. It's a really simple plot. Um, a dog is lost, a dog is found. Um, a woman is on her way to Alaska, and whether or not she ever is there, you, you just don't know. Um, First Cow has a little bit more of a closed uh, structure than is typical of her, her films, but certainly the focus on these two men is a really t- typical, like right, her interest in those who are trying to make it in a world where there's a lot of odds stacked against them.
0: Yeah, I listened to an interview with her last night. Um talking mostly about first cow, but just talking about her career as a, as a filmmaker. And one of the questions she was asked was like, "Which, you like, what would you do if you could make a bigger film? And then they had a long discussion about what bigger film would mean. You know, she was like, well, obviously I would like more money, but at the same time, there's things that come along with that. Um, And one of the things that she mentioned, which, which I think really shows up in this film, uh, because they eventually got to, okay, maybe bigger means something which, uh, covers a, a larger swath of time. Cause she said, well, that's something she hasn't really done is, you know, something that, uh, cause, cause the actual, the short, the novel, this is based on, I think covers like four decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, and, you know, and so she was interested in that, but it was also like that we're, we we will not be able to make that, but she's also du- She said, I really am not that interested in, t- in thinking about covering a long swath of somebody's life. And the comment she made was, I think really telling about this movie. Cause she, she said, if you're making a movie about some about a a long chunk of somebody's life you don't have time to show them doing their daily chores Mm. you know that it's like it's like you have to sacrifice these small things because you have to cover so much ground and that's one of the things that that i noticed about uh about this film is how there's just a lot of time spent on these kind of little detail things, um, and I and uh, I actually rewatched this movie. So I watched it the first time because I didn't know enough about it to know if I should watch this with my daughter, and then then I watched it with her the, two days later. And when I watched it the second time, I realized, wow, the open. Do you remember the, what the opening shot of this movie is?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The,
0: it is this this ship, right? And it's yeah. and it's slowly passing. And I realized as I was watching it a second time, oh, we're gonna see this ship. And fully enter the screen and exit the screen. Like it's like she is telling us this movie's going to take its time.
1: That's you exactly know? what's going on in that shot, and I and I and I love that shot because it reminds me of when uh, when my wife and I go to to Duluth, uh, we stay in a hotel that's right on the canal, and it reminds me of watching those uh, those big lake ships go uh, go sailing by. But I think you're exactly right. That's that's what she's telling us. This is this is a movie that really cares about time and and. Uh, and, and, small things, but daily things, right? Yeah. So, so right away, you know, if you're looking for explosions or a lot of fast paced action, you're not going to get it.
0: Um, another interesting thing that came out of this interview, and I don't know that this says anything about this movie, uh, but, but I found it interesting that the other thing she spends a lot of her time doing other than uh, making film is that she teaches uh, that she's a, a, a teacher in a, f- a film program teaches film production. So it was interesting to hear her talk about kind of um, what her students are doing versus what she's doing. And and part of they were part of what they were t- asking her about was like, well, do you do you talk about your movies when you teach? And she's like, no, I, I I don't do that. I'm not the type of person who would who would do that. Nobody wants to hear that. But it was it was fascinating because I didn't I you know I tend to think of like. When I think of filmmakers, I guess I tend to think of people who are um, kind of in the system a little bit more where it's like that is what they do is they make films. And and the fact that she's sort of in both of these worlds um, and that one of them is being a teacher, which I think both of both you and I can uh, can understand a little bit. Uh, I just found that really fascinating to to think about kind of moving between those things.
1: Yeah, and of course, Spike Lee has done a lot of teaching as well, despite the fact that his movies make maybe a little more money, but still. And I want to go back to that point for just a minute, Sam, the idea of, you know, what would you do if you had, if you could make a really big film? I mean, I think this is an idea we've touched on before, but that is that I think all art needs to work within constraints. And um, it's a rare work of art that is successful when there's no constraint on the artist. Um, that's why it's a, a miracle that Apocalypse Now turned out to be as good as it did, because as you know, Coppola said they had too much money, uh, and they kind of went crazy. But, but, by and large, when an artist can kind of do anything, the result is you don't get anything particularly particularly good. Um, it's uh, so. I think that you know whether uh, First Cow didn't go to China because she didn't have the funds to do that, uh, or she just decided she wanted to uh, focus more on the Oregon sections of the story. I think the by and large, the art gains from those kinds of constraints um it's that old robert frost thing about you know no fun playing tennis without a net uh, yeah. you need a form.
0: well and she she even talked about in the production of this uh when she when they finally landed on uh john magaro to play cookie that one of the producers said to her well if you go with him you realize this movie's gonna what size this movie's gonna be it was sort of like if you like you don't have a, a big star in this now. So that's going to by definition, make your movie this particular size. So um I just found that, that really interesting too. I just know, I know very little about kind of the, um I think the, the, the finance side of, of movies. Um So, so I found, I found listening to her really enlightening and, and the tension between like, yes, I would love other opportunities and I would love more money, but I want to make the stories I want to make. So yeah, I'm actually, also happy with what I'm doing um, mm-hmm. was, was sort of an interesting balance that, that she struck there. Um, usually at the end of, of our show, we talk about like, we start to bring up, Oh, this is movies that this made me think of. Um, I kind of want to start at the beginning with that. Cause I had a bunch of, of whether they were little scenes or, um, or, or moments or even sort of bigger themes in the movies um, that, that this made me think of. Um, so I, I'm going to start with two movies that we haven't watched on this, but I know we've both seen and they both came out in 2019. So they're very sort of of this time. Um, And, and the first one is not an idea that I had. I can't remember who I was reading, who brought this up, but they mentioned how well this movie pairs with the movie parasite. If you think about like, you know, in parasite, you have this family who's Uh. like kind of scamming their way. You know I mean? They're, they're trying to, they're, they're, um, pushed down by a capitalist system and they're trying to kind of scam their way into something and there's a degree in this movie where it's like these are these people who um are are trying to uh make a beachhead on success right try to try to try to form that and in, in order to do that like uh I can't remember who I was talking to, but somebody, I brought this up and somebody asked me, oh, is it a heist movie? And I said, well, it's the mildest kind of heist movie you can imagine, but it is, I mean, to a degree, like, like they're, they're running a scam and a heist. Um, so, so it was, uh, and the more I thought about that, the more I thought like, well, there actually is this, this, this sort of interesting relationship between parasite and first cow in that way. Um, the other one is, is a little, uh, stranger in a kind of way. Um, Because I know these are two two films which are probably deeply opposed to each other. And two filmmakers that I know are opposed to each other. But this came out in the same year as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Both of these are these movies about male friendship. I mean, at the center of them are this relationship between two men. Now, they're very different movies. Uh, Kelly Reichert was actually, I think, on the panel at Cannes. Who didn't give any awards to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And Tarantino is... uh, has been vocal about not liking the, the films of Kelly Reichert. Um, so I don't think these are movies that are, are paired in that way, but it isn't it's, as I was thinking about, what does this make me think of? It's like, I'm, I, it is interesting that they, that these are two movies that have um, really male relationships at the center of them. They're different relationships, but they're, but they're at the center of them in that way.
1: Yeah. I hadn't thought of that as kind of a, uh, as kind of a buddy movie in a way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um... I, I thought of a couple of different films. I thought of, um, and this is in part because of the setting in Oregon, in part because of the notion of the, the parasitical relationship to society, but um, uh, uh, without a trace. I don't know if you've seen that or not, uh, but it's about, a, it came out also, I think it's probably 2018, uh, about, about the same time, but it's about a, a father and a daughter living off the land. Um, and uh, literally living off the grid and making occasional forays into town to try to, uh, to, try to get food. And uh, it's, it's, a really, it's a really well-made film. I would, I would recommend it. Um, there's a couple other films I'm gonna mention that were seen as influences, although to be really frank, I haven't watched them, but I know both of them by reputation. And one of them is um, Robert Altman's McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Uh, and um, René Abrajanou, who is in this film, is the man with the raven, he was in that film, and then uh, a Jim Jarmusch film. Jarmusch is one of those independent filmmakers we haven't watched yet, but Jarmusch's film Dead Man uh, with Johnny Depp has also been sometimes cited as, as, as similar. Um, the other one I'm going to mention is actually a spoiler for the end of our show, because uh, Reichardt has mentioned two films in particular that influenced her, and so next week i want to watch one of those um, Ugetsu uh, by Mizoguchi, which I mentioned several weeks ago. When we did Kurosawa, uh, so that's that's another film, and that and that's more in terms of the cinematography and the uh, the design, especially of the the hut in which the uh, in which the guys live.
0: I also thought about in terms of movies we've watched on 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 this podcast. Um, again, this is. <laughs> A little bit of a jump, but I thought about Babette's feast again because this is about somebody whose passion really is for, for cooking. <laughs> you know, and it's not it's in you know, uh King Lou has this kind of um I think more uh more of this vision of like looking for a way to kind of uh, socially and economically climb I'm not sure cookie cookie would love to bake uh and he'd <laughs> love to have a have a life where he could do that and I don't know that he's interested in that as a this is a way I'll make my fortune but I think he would be happy if he could live in a world where he could bake um so there's the, there's a degree of Babette in him I mean it's very different but but I thought about that in the and, and in the same way as I watch Babette's feast I'm like oh I would like to try what they're what they're cooking I, I felt that way even about like the oily cakes like I'm sure they're not uh, the cuisine that Babette is making, but um, but I would have liked to have tried one of those.
1: As a <laughs> my, Minnesotan, some fried dough is not the worst thing, right? My they're, my they're tasty, right? <laughs> right, uh, right. Uh, and, and okay, so I, I, I could also make a stretch, uh, Sam, and argue that there's uh, there are ways in which I could, um, I could relate this to some like a hot... Uh, isn't exactly a male buddy movie because they are a little, a little bit more at each other's throats. But there is this notion that, you know, what I find interesting in in, in first cow is that King Lou uh, is kind of the one saying, you know, we got to do this, we got to do this. And then it kind of flips towards the end, right? King Lou says, this is a dangerous game we're playing. We better stop. Uh, and Cookie wants to kind of keep going. So um, it's, it's, me it's a little bit like what happens in some like a hot where it's, it's in some places it seems like tony curtis is driving it in other places it seems like jack lemon is, is driving it
0: absolutely um so maybe let's dive into the 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 movie a little bit um it opens with the the this william blake quote um which uh oftentimes i forget I forget when somebody has a little epigraph at the beginning. And then when I re-watch it, it's like, Oh yeah, that really, they told me something at the beginning that I missed this time. I didn't forget. I didn't forget the, um, uh, the, the epigraph, but the, the William Blake quote is the bird, a nest, the spider, a web man, friendship. And uh, as, as a literature professor, do you want to <laughs> say anything about that as a, as a kickoff to this movie?
1: Yeah, well, you know, it comes from, uh, in Blake's work, Marriage of Heaven and Hell, this is one of the Proverbs of Hell, and, you know, Blake is a great contrarian, Blake, Blake likes to, Blake thinks that there's a lot of energy that's created by the conflict of opposites, and so when he thinks about hell, he doesn't think about a place of damnation, he actually thinks about a place of, of genius. So he actually says, I, I went back and I got the quote from from uh, from the, the work where he says, as I was walking among the fires of hell, delighted with the enjoyments of genius, which to angels looked like torment and insanity, I collected some of their proverbs, uh, thinking that as the saying used as a nation marks its character, so the proverbs of hell show in the nature of infernal wisdom. So uh, that's Blake, of course, being somewhat provocative. But what I find interesting is that if you look at what he talks about, the bird and nest, I mean, that's obviously... Uh, a symbolic of home, of um, domesticity, but the spider a web is really interesting because yes, the web is home to the spider, but it's also how the spider traps flies. Um, So there's danger in, in, in a web, that there isn't in a nest. So to me, when he adds friendship at the end, it's really interesting that friendship has that double meaning of it's a place of comfort, but it's also a place of danger. Uh, and so it perfectly captures to me that combination of domesticity with King Lou and cookie and the daring, the daring nature of their crime.
0: Yeah. And so I actually really want to think about the, sort of the care, these two characters and kind of the, the, um, how you would characterize cookie, how you would characterize King Lou and, and, and as a way to think about, um, that relationship, uh, between the two of them, um. So maybe let's start with Cookie because he's the first of the two that that we encounter. Right? We first see him collecting uh, mushrooms and other things out in the forest, and we see that he's uh, among the trappers. He's that he's traveling with. He is definitely the uh, the beta personality among them, or if there's something lower than beta, he is that. Um, but then you know we have the the encounter, the first encounter that he has with King Lou, um, and he there's no reason he should protect this person. He should save this person. So it's very telling about like um, that, that he literally welcomes him into his tent, putting both of them in, in danger. You know, like I got very nervous because we had already met the trappers and I just thought, well, this is, this is going to be terrible. What's going to happen. And I, I couldn't believe just kind of how like he cared, he cared enough about this person who he had never met and had really no reason to, um, you know to 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 save him and then the the another scene that i thought was really uh interesting was when they first go to king Lu's house and uh king Lu is trying to like you know make him at home and when he goes to chop wood cookie just starts to clean and he not only cleans but he goes and gets flowers to put in the little pot and it's like that you know there's there is this sense of like um you know uh making himself at home is like he is like making a home there uh and i thought that was just a really they don't say anything about it really but i think that's just a, that that was just a really interesting uh picture of who this guy is
1: well i i i'm glad you picked up on both those scenes um sam because one of the one of the to me one of the remarkable things about this film is it it's economy and and, and the way that uh reichert conveys information so economically and visually. And one of the things I found really interesting about this film is even though you could say it's a type of slow cinema, um, I I didn't feel like it was two hours long. I felt right. like oh, I, when it was over, I thought, well, that was about an hour and a half. So there's something paradoxical about how slowly and economically the film moves and yet how how uh, absorbing it is. So I want to go back to that first scene for, uh, first of all, I want to note the, the, the incredible, um, uh, way that she uses editing to cut 200 years. Because you have uh, uh, Aaliyah uh, Shawcat's character starting to pick up the mushrooms, right? And then that turns into Cookie's hand. So 200 years have gone by in one second. And then the next thing that happens is Cookie sees the salamander on its back and he turns it over. That's it. You've got the character right there. It's a guy who's collecting food and he's got a good heart because he sees the salamander and he doesn't ignore it. He doesn't kill it. He doesn't pick it up to eat it, <laughs> if you could. So, and I think the same thing happens with the um, uh, with the scene uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the hut. You're right, exactly right. We don't need to be told that Cookie has a good heart or that Cookie is looking for some kind of domestic security or that Cookie pays attention to those small details that make life better. Uh, he just doesn't. And in three to five minutes, you you get the the whole relationship is established. King Lou invites them back to have have some whiskey or whatever it is they're drinking. King Lou gets the wood ready. Cookie gets the gets the the shack ready, and there and there you go. Uh, and that's that's their that's their connection. They don't need to talk about it. She doesn't need to give us anything. We just get it all visually. It's economically, genius filmmaking in my view.
0: Well, and there's a scene in between those that I didn't mention that also. Uh, lays this out as well, which is at the bar. Um, and again, the fact that I, I forget the name of the enormous man with the baby who comes in, but that he, he looks around that room.
1: William. Uh, yes.
0: Yeah. yeah. He looks around that room and, tr- and, and trusts Cookie with the baby. And Cookie just assumes, like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to be watching this baby now. And when everybody leaves the bar, did you notice what King Lou does before he gets up from the table? No. he does a very subtle thing. So he has a he has a mug and yeah. he looks over at somebody else's mug and pours part oh. of their drink into his. He's somebody who's looking for opportunities, right? <laughs> and and then and then cookie or, and then King Lu goes up to cookie and they start talking. and And King Lu wants to leave. and Cookie mm-hmm. feels responsible for this baby. And it's like King Lu is telling him, you know, you don't have to just accept yeah. the world as it's given to you. I mean, he doesn't make a big speech about it, but it's just like he will be fine come with me uh and and, uh, if we're talking about a a sort of economy of scene like that is a really short uh things that that would be easy to miss that tell you a lot about again the differences between these characters but also the way that they mesh together well
1: yeah Yeah, it it made me a little uncomfortable that that cookie gave into his invitation because he did end up leaving that baby uh, but I guess that's important because we have to see the cookie, in fact, can be persuaded by, by King Lou. I have to say one other thing about that, about that saloon scene, Sam, that completely endeared it to me. and that is that the game of chance they were playing was not poker, but um, cribbage. And uh, our viewers can, our listeners cannot see this, but over my head is a continuous track cribbage board, uh, which was given to me by my best friend from high school. We've played cribbage together for uh, 50 years. So just, and, and then later on, um, when, when the, uh, the, the Irishman is, uh, is uh, uh, I think it's Lloyd, I can't remember his name. Anyway, he's talking about how offended he is that somebody is using uh, archaic cribbage rules. I just thought that, that for me was such a grace note, uh, that somebody cared that much about cribbage, that they put it in the movie and actually had somebody talk about the rules, and, and, exa- and, and, and exactly right. It was great.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, if we're thinking about the the character of King Lou, then and uh, sort of other moments where we learn some <laughs> some pieces about him, uh, there's some great scenes of them just walking through the woods. Which, and they're not necessarily talking about things. Sometimes even what they're referring to, it like when they talk about the rainstone, mm-hmm. it's like you you get just the very end of this conversation, and it seems like it's just throwaway dialogue to show ah oh, they're talking in the woods, but there is this i think an important thing that king lou says when um cookie asks oh do you believe in that stuff and and cookie says well i believe different things depending on where i am
1: (laughs) i believe different things in different places
0: yeah yeah and and i mean that that shows that he has this kind of flexibility he also explains in one of those walks through the woods how all the different places that he's been um you know so you you realize that you know, Cookie's been on this journey from Maryland to Oregon, but but uh, King Lou has literally seen the world. He's you know he's been to China, to London, to Egypt to see the pyramids, and um, so we we sort of get that uh, that from him.
1: And then yeah, that he makes the, that makes him the very opposite of Joan of Arc. Last time right. you talked about your admiration for Joan because she has her principles and she sticks to them. And King Lou is quite different from that in that respect. And yet I like him a lot.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I'm, I'm ex- he, I'm ex- I think I like him in part because he's very different than me because he is the person who is looking for opportunities. Um, the, one of the great lines in the movie is, again, when they're walking through the woods, and I, I didn't write it down, so this is just from my memory roughly what he says. Um, he talks about, he's looking at the world around him and talks about how this place is very new. Yeah. And he says, history is not here yet. It's coming, but we've gotten here early this time. And that's a really important piece to what this movie's about because, um, there, I think there is this sense for lots of people, especially if we're thinking about immigrant stories, right. That, you know, if we, uh, the, the sort of, uh, mythology of America as a land of opportunity, it's like, well, it maybe was a land of opportunity at one point, but how much of those things have closed down. And there's this sense of, you know, maybe thinking about the American frontier as, um, you know, as this, this land of possibility, but even by 1820, uh, when this movie set, there is this sense that, that some of that opportunity is closing, you know, as people are moving west, you know, things are getting settled and, you know, in quote civilized. Uh, and, but King Lou is like this time, this time we got here early, which means we have an opportunity that is that there's a window, there's a window of opportunity that we can make use of. And then, and the cow ends up being part of that.
1: Yeah, and he goes on to say at the end of that speech, we can take it on our own terms. Uh, and, and, and I think that's where, you know one of the other things about this film, Sam, is, that, is that's where there's, there's a very subtle social commentary going on because in the same way that uh, King Lou and Cookie are taking from the cow, uh, the cow represents the entrepreneur and people like Chief Factor. Who have already gotten there, and they've already taken from the Native Americans. I mean, it's really interesting the way the Native American presence is kind of in the background of this film, and then of course there's the chief who's actually in the house when they have the Clafouti. Um, and and so so. Record is very subtly showing us that you know this cow from whom they're stealing also represents a different kind of theft, and uh, and 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 in the same way that we look upon what. Uh, King Lou and Cookie are doing as a kind of crime. So too has another crime been committed. But she doesn't shove that in your face. But mm-hmm. what she, she does it in such a way that you have to start to think. Well, wait a minute. What what is Chief Actor doing there with a the cow anyway? And why is there a fort? And you know those those things are sort of in the background. That if you stop and reflect, she wants you to think about that as well.
0: Yeah, and and I mean, and the the and I, I love how the cow represents. Um I mean, when they're when they're uh, even the way the cow's introduced—that you—I mean, it's the title of the movie, so you know, you know, there's something there. Um, then you see the cow on the raft, which you know made me think of that horse in Agira. <laughs> like, oh, what is this animal doing on a raft? Um, and and then you hear in you hear about it in the bar, and again it. You could, if you weren't paying enough attention, you could think, oh, this is generic dialogue that the people playing mm-hmm. cards are, to, you know, and then we're going to, where's Cookie? Let's get, the, let's, let's figure. but that's, that's laying out, you know, and they're critiquing him as like, oh, you know, he's a, I think, I think they call him a proper English lady because he wants milk with his tea. And, you know, but it is this also this sense of like, uh, again, trying to, um, trying to bring quote civilization more to this, you know, to the, to the wild west um so it the cow both presents opportunity for cookie and king lou but also the threat of the end of that opportunity because king lou keeps talking about how like right now there's only one cow but there are others coming And, and it's with this sense of like once once this place has lots of cows then we've lost the thing that makes what we're doing unique because anybody could do because because he understands that that also what they're doing this this fried dough that they're doing is not actually like this um you know uh miracle food that they're making it's just they have some fat to put in you know some 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 dairy to put into the, the these baked goods um it's also interesting that this is again i don't know a lot of her movies um but i can presume from the title wendy and lucy um that there's a and i know one of those is a dog right in wendy and lucy but i presume the other is a woman <laughs> um sure. and this is a this, yeah this is a movie made by uh a, a, a woman directed co-written edited um that is about male friendship and is really i mean there's there's very few women who appear in this in part because there's uh because of the setting uh and where they are so it's it's very it's very interesting although she also like makes it a point to put them in there at certain scenes so at chief factor's house you have the wives of chief factor uh, and the the wife of the um, the the native chief right and then they they when everybody leaves they get together and have their conversation um, as well so so she's also like indicating things that are people who who are on the margins of this story that there are other stories to tell and even in that moment when they're not speaking a language that we I shouldn't say that I know, I don't know what they're saying, but there's enough indication of like, Oh, they're talking about this necklace that she has and something else. And it's like, and there's this, this like other friendship that exists here where it's like, Oh, we could also look at that story if we wanted to as well.
1: I think, I think if I, if I, if I, if I recall correctly that, you know, Richard, I think tends to reject the label of feminist filmmaker, I think because uh, even though a lot of her films have focused on, uh, on on strong women or interesting women, Wendy Lucy is an example. Uh, Meeks cut off uh, her film before First Cow was called Certain Women, uh, and then she has a kind of atypical film called Night Moves, which has a very strong female performance in it. So you're right; this this is a little bit unusual in that women are not foregrounded. But but it's interesting that in 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 one scene, uh, it's a woman who's a translator. Uh, mm-hmm. Right, actually, is the person who is kind of the bridge between the two between the two cultures, uh, and it's also one of those moments when you get the uh, the Native American culture kind of commenting on in in a really interesting way, right? Commenting on the this Western culture, this American European culture, because they've just had this conversation about how beaver pelts are going out of style, uh, and uh, and and one of one of the comments that somebody makes about about history is uh, history moves so quickly, uh, it wears itself out. And on the other hand, you have the Native American perspective, I don't understand, these people, they don't eat the tail. It's like, and, and, and so you, you've you got this notion of, so the beaver, right, becomes this symbol of, of exploitation for a, uh, for a uh, evanescent fashion versus beaver is actually a source of sustenance. Uh, and so it's interesting to me that a woman is kind of the key link in that conversation.
0: Well, it's also interesting thinking about kind of the 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 use of the beaver, like that. That's what they're going after. King Lou also talks about another part of the beaver that just gets left behind, right? He talks about the the oil from the glands, and he's like, "But that never makes it back to the forts." He's like, "I could collect that, but but it never makes it back to the forts because all they care about is the pelts, um, uh, the pelts as well." I want to talk about about uh, Chief Factor a little bit. Uh, I am a big fan of Toby Jones as oh, an actor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm most familiar with him as uh lance in the show Detectorus. i don't know if you've ever seen seen oh, that I love
1: that is a perfect show our, our our listeners should definitely go out and watch Detectorus right away <laughs>
0: that's right it's one of my favorites um so it was very it was very interesting like i i i i brought my lance baggage with me so i i i, I instantly liked this guy um and then i had to realize like i'm paying it like again there's so many things happening conversations that that feel like they're not at the center of the movie, but the conversation that he's having with his guest about, you know, how many times did you, um, did you whip this guy and like, you know, yeah, it might mean he can't where he won't work as hard, but think about the impact that would have on the people, other people who saw it. And even like a well-timed death, if people's, and it's like, (laughs) this guy's a monster, but it's in the package of, of Toby Jones. So it's, it's, and, and you don't, so he's both like the most, Again, I'm using this word in quotes the whole time. the most like civilized person compared to the ruffians at the fort. but he's also like maybe says the most monstrous things that people say. you know, he just happens to have cream with his tea.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah I mean it, that's that's it's the veneer of civilization theme that we've seen in agira and uh, and um uh, apocalypse now as well. But I also say that that's one of the things I appreciate about Toby Jones as an actor is that range. he kind of you know, his breakthrough role was as Truman Capote uh, about 15 years ago. But if you want to see him in full villain mode, he was in the, uh, the Sherlock series, it was on uh, PBS. Ah, uh, he played one of the nastiest villains that Sherlock ever came up against. So I knew when I saw him. You know, I also loved him, the detectorist, and you know, he's kind of hapless in, in, uh, and in and really, really sympathetic in that series. But I had seen that other side of him, and so I think what I love about Chief Factor is he kind of combines those two elements. Uh, And, you know, and when, and when he finds out that the milk is being stolen from him, you sort of wish that he would channel Lance and say, yes, but you know, we've had such delicious oily cakes as a result, but now he goes, he goes full villain, which I think is great.
0: Another character who I don't know if, if he has a name, but I love the way he's seated throughout the film is the, the person who I assume ends up killing, um, killing cookie and, and King Lou. Ah, uh, the the young man who works in Chief Actor's house, and is you, we see him in line, and he's always like pushed yep. away, or he's the last one, and he doesn't get a cake, and somebody else steps in front of him. Um, and I think that character, without I don't, he may not even have a line in the movie. Now that I think about it,
1: he does have a name. He's Thomas. Okay. Because at one point the Irishman yells at him when they when they have to get out of bed, so he's Thomas. But you're exactly right, Sam. That if you watch carefully. Even though it's not King Lou and Cookie's fault that he didn't get the oily cake, you get this sense that he's resentful towards them in some way. So yeah, he's continually um, pushed aside, ignored. Uh, so that that to me is I, I love the way that's set up that we can only we only we assume that he's the one that's responsible for at least for King Lou's death. I I think Cookie probably was gonna. I think Cookie was a goiner a goner from a, a subhuman sure. anyway. Uh, but what's interesting about that is he, uh, he is also another thief mm-hmm. because he obviously kills them to get the bag of, of money.
0: Right. And, uh, and it's also, it's interesting. You know, I also wonder: does he use that? Well, maybe if he takes the money, he just, just runs with it, but it also like he could use that to the catching and killing of those guys as a way to get into Chief, uh, good, better favor with Chief Factor because clearly he's on the lower rung of that household in terms of the things going on there, right? But but he, yeah. So I I, just, I loved I loved that idea. Um, and then when I watched it a second time, I realized how often he is in that movie. He right, right. will just appear in the background or be, you know. Uh, so I thought that was that was really great. Um, can you talk a little bit about the prologue? like, uh, how we talked, I mean, about that. Oh, op- we talked about the opening shot and the sort of time jump backwards that happens instantly. Um, but why does she put that, the scene with, uh, with the woman and the dog at the beginning of the movie, do you think? What what does that f- function as?
1: First of all, I have to give a shout out to, 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 uh, uh, Leah Shawcat. She's, uh, one of my favorite actors from, uh, Arrested Development. Um, and I was very pleased with myself for spotting her. Um, I, I uh, well, you know, in in a way, it's kind of a trope. Um, one one of the reviews said, "If you're a woman walking with your dog in the woods, it's going to find a body." Um, <laughs> so, so in a way, you know, it, it, it's kind of it's kind of a it's a, it's a I guess it's a, it's a device. Um, and I think that you know, part of what it suggests, of course, is how easily this kind of history is forgotten. The, the anonymity of lives from the past. And in a sense, it, it's telling us that this is a movie that literally is about excavating that which has been forgotten. Um, but also at the same time, you could also argue almost like the contingency of history. You know, if uh, if she hadn't come across those bodies, maybe we wouldn't have gotten this story. Um, so I, I think it's, in a way, it's also about inspiration. It's about, you know, what, what stories do, does a filmmaker choose to tell or what stories do any of us choose to tell uh and how do they literally kind of come across our our path absolutely are there other things you want to talk about with this movie i just wanted to say to go to get back to the opening which brings us back to the ending i said at the beginning that this was unlike other reichert films and having a kind of closure to it but what we were just talking about a minute ago with thomas it also has an opening because, as you said, we don't know. I mean, we make the assumption he kills them, which I think is a fair assumption. Um, but we don't know what he does with the money. So there's an openness. So one story is closed, but the other story opens. And so I think that that I think in a way it's it's a film that kind of captures the whole nature of history. history history is just a bunch of stuff happening. But then if you stop to tell a story, you end up kind of shaping history. But at the same time, there's an element of history that you never kind of get your hands around because you can never know the full, the full truth of the full story. So I think I think record does a beautiful job of showing us something that's both kind of closed and contained and formed, but at the same time is open and and, and flowing.
0: Absolutely. Um, a couple other scenes that 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 made me think of of things from other movies uh, when they're running away from Chief Factor, um, you know, after they. They get caught Um, and they're at the moment when they're up on the cliff above the the river I was like oh this is Butch and Sundance but it's like but only one of them jumps and I thought that was I I don't know if that's a a a conscious like uh reference but but it definitely made me think of 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 that it's like well because because Cookie is not Butch and Sundance you know so he's but what's interesting what's interesting is um if you notice so so he leaves so king lou jumps right and he leaves the butch and sundance moment cookie does and basically becomes a hobbit from lord of the rings like he's hiding underneath and they're up above him and it's like that's so it's like two different scenes of people being chased in in you know very very famous movies and she kind of quotes both of them uh you know to maybe tell us that cookie's a little more hobbit like than he is uh, you know sort of Fitting in the uh, fitting in the Wild West in that way, so I really love that. Whether that was intentional or not, I love that yes. uh, the pairing of those shots.
1: Well, I I, I never put anything past a uh, a, a knowledgeable filmmaker like uh, Riker in terms of what references are are are, are uh, intended.
0: All right, Barrett, uh, you tipped your hand a little bit, but what do you have for us for next week?
1: Right, before I, before I go back to that, Sam, I have to add one more thing about this film that completely delighted me. And that is one of the main plot elements, which is the making of the clafouti. On the day I watched this film, which happened to be Valentine's Day, I actually made my wife a raspberry clafootie from, uh, raspberries from our, uh, our raspberry bushes this summer, which we froze for a winter treat so uh so when i saw that he was uh, he was making a Clifudi and i just made a clafootie that just made me very happy so between the clafootie and the cribbage there was much to much to, to celebrate
0: so was that intentional or was that a coincidence
1: that you the, the, made same day uh yeah. that, that was a coincidence but uh that i knew the film had a clafootie I, I i did know that but i did not intend to make it on exactly the same day but there you go mine was rather phenomenal. how was it I, I think it's fantastic and they are very easy to make, um, but they sound fancy. And I don't pronounce it the way Chief Factor does it all. Uh, yeah, so I've already chipped my hand. I, I wanna watch uh, Mizuguchi's uh, Yugetsu uh, from 1953, so it's nearly contemporary with um, uh, with with uh, Kurosawa's film. So it's U-G-E-T-S-U uh, um, and it's one of the influences that has been cited by Kelly Reichardt and I did check it's on uh, Amazon Prime and it's the Criterion disc so it's a good uh, a good copy
0: Fantastic well Barrett thank you so much for recommending this movie this is one that um I had heard about I had heard referenced it was a it was a title that I'd heard and it was kind of like I had with First Reformed like it's I should have made sense of what the title meant but I, when i first heard it i was i thought it was a kid's movie about like a cow in the white house this first cow like that makes sense like okay um and then it's one of those where you're like oh yeah that's what first cow means that makes perfect sense i loved this movie it, um now you've only seen Wendy and Lucy so that that uh would you recommend that film if you if I enjoyed this I do you think
1: like that would that and, uh, you know on my li- Meek's Cutoff has been on my list for a long time and I just haven't gotten to it. One other thing I want to say about the First Cow and that is that I love the fact that the cow gets a credit. That's Evie. Evie plays First Cow uh, uh, and <laughs> in, a, in a fantastic performance.
0: <laughs> Apparently according to Reichert she was kind of hard
1: to work with, but I'm sure she was, but uh, but she she did she did well once the camera was rolling. That's uh, right. It, it's often occurred to me what's odd about animals in films is they don't know they're acting, but
0: right. (laughs) Well, Barrett, thank you so much for recommending this. Uh, and we will be back next week to talk about Ugetsu in the video store.